<laughs> I'm going to be kind to Natalie right there. Um, I love Natalie Comstock and Robert Carr. Don't you appreciate them here at Calvary Church? They bring, they bring such life and energy to our staff. We have so much fun during the week, and then obviously we gather here on the weekends. My name is Matt Doan, one of the pastors here at Calvary. Joyful to be with you. Hey, open your Bibles. <laughs> open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. We've been having a wonderful journey this summer. Uh, several guest speakers, people on our staff that have been walking through this book. 31 chapters uh, here in Proverbs. King Solomon, we think, wrote many of these Proverbs. And it's the idea of this, is that he's speaking to his son in some metaphoric ways, but he's saying, here's the way to have wisdom. Number one, fear God. Fear the Lord in all that you do, which doesn't mean hiding in a corner, but it means in reverence, in awe, in worship. I surrender all, as we sung a few minutes ago. And then after that opening proverb, then we walk through some really practical ways that, that we can have wisdom in this life of following God. And today and next Sunday, we're going to talk about wisdom in work, something that I think we all could use as, I hate to tell any of you students, but this is like for many of you, the last weekend before something happens this week. Summer is ending in just a few hours for many of you. And so it's important to know as we go back to work, whether you're a student or an adult, that uh, how, do we, how do we do it in a way that, that honors the Lord? You know, if you think about it, over half of our waking hours are spent at work. 83% of people surveyed said that they experience work-related stress. Which makes me think, okay, if 83% say they have stress at work, I want to know what those other 17% people <laughs> do in their lives that they do not experience stress at their job. Because I'd like to follow or mirror whatever they do. I think 100% of us, right, for the most part, experience some stress in our work. Why is that the case? Well, many of our workplaces are understaffed. They're full of difficult people. None of us, but other people. <laughs> we face overwhelming tasks, inadequate training. We, we feel stress, the pressure in our daily life at work. So why do we work? Is it just for a paycheck? Is it just to pay the bills? Is it just to buy stuff? Or is there a larger overall purpose that God has for our vocations? Remember, you remember this scene in Snow White. The seven dwarfs on their way to work. Hi-ho, hi-ho. It's off to... <laughs> Someone help me out, my whistling's struggling. <laughs> the seven dwarves skipping on their way to work, but in reality for most of us living here in Orange County, this is what we're saying in our mind as we go to work. Please no, please no. I just want to sleep in, bro. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, how do we survive just this pressured 
incubator of living here and, and living in such an expensive place and, and needing to, to, to bring in so much money just to pay our rent or, or our mortgage. We need wisdom when it comes to our work. Reminds me of one Sunday morning, a mom went in to wake her son and tell him to get ready for church. And he replied, I'm not going. And the mom said, well, why not? And he said, I'll give you two good reasons. One, no one there likes me. And two, I don't like anyone there. And then the mom looked at her son and said, I'll give you two reasons why you should go to church this morning. Number one, you're 54 years old. <laughs> Number two, you're the pastor of the church. I've told that joke before, but it just feels like appropriate, especially with Josh Matlock here. Josh Matlock, who served wonderfully here for many years, now senior pastor of Church of Montclair, or Bethany of Montclair. Where's Josh? Josh, stand up. I need to see you. Josh, are you here somewhere? There you are. Josh, welcome, my brother. You're on sabbatical, so you can just sleep during this message. You are good. But uh, just on a total side note, um, Josh has impacted me and impacted so many of us here at this church. And I'm, I'm so thankful for you, my brother. It's so good to see you. Um, but what do we do? Where, where do we get our wisdom when it comes to work? Well, Proverbs says a lot about work. You scan through all 31 Proverbs and uh, Solomon and others inspired by the Holy Spirit pause and, and give framework to how we should approach work. And, and one of the more clear passages is in Proverbs chapter 6. So you saw it earlier on the screen. But Proverbs 6, look particularly at verses 6 through 11. It says this, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work. Verse 8. They labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? Verse 10. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So it was written thousands and thousands of years ago to the people of Israel, inspired through Solomon to his son, matters to us the weekend before school starts in 2022. It goes on here in, um, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, to say this, but you, you're, you lazy bones. That's the NLT translation right here. Guys, you could switch back to that slide for me for a moment. But uh, it says lazy bones. And I kind of debated if I wanted to use this translation because that word lazy bones sounds kind of funny in our modern culture language. Uh, that original word can mean sluggard or just simply lazy. In fact, you might have another translation that uh, says, uh, look at the ant, you sluggard. Anybody have that in their translation right here? Yeah, a lot of us there. Here in the NLT, though, it's an excellent translation taken from uh, great manuscripts. Uh, they translate this to mean lazy bones. And I was like, I don't know. It's kind of a weird word, but it feels a little condescending here. But I think that's kind of the author's intent. He's trying to 
to shake them a little bit, to startle them with this phrase of sluggard or, or lazy bones. It's like, hey, hey, I, I, I want to kind of rattle your cages with this. Pay attention. This is an important topic. Look at the ant. Look at how they live their lives. And then look at your own life and examine it in that way. Those last verses in uh, 10 and 11. 11 says, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Now, just a little disclaimer on this is that I wouldn't say that if someone's poor, that means that they are lazy. We have the privilege, about 108 of us here at Calvary, to support a child through Compassion International in Guatemala. And as you examine the the kids and the families that we support, many of their families are the hardest working people that you would ever come across to in your life. But because of economic conditions, government, and just the brokenness of this world, their hard work doesn't equal necessary pay. And so I wouldn't say that because someone's poor, they are lazy. And yet, I think you can say, as you look at this text here, that a byproduct of laziness can be poverty. And so you see that there's a lot of weight to this passage. It's saying, look at the ant. Look at their life. Model yourself after the ant. Now, again, this is just a broken world, right? Because we as humans are the pinnacle of God's creation, We were called in the garden to oversee creation. And yet in our brokenness and sinfulness, we have to look up to people like an ant. (laughs) That's just kind of describes the the human condition right now, that that our heroes are ants. I actually bought uh, or ordered an ant farm, and I was going to put it right here and just watch the ants work during this message. Uh, But I didn't read the fine print, and Apparently, I opened the ant farm yesterday so excited. My little girl, Eden and I, are looking at this, and it doesn't come with ants. <laughs> so apparently, they're busy working other places. So maybe next week, I'll bring them if I can find some ants. But the ant is self-motivated. It doesn't need a boss looking over their shoulder. The ant works hard in that motivation. And the ant, as it says here in the scriptures, prepares for the future. It gathers in the summer in preparation for the winter. Compare that with what the NLT calls lazy bones. The the lazy bone person needs constant accountability. The lazy sluggard hardly works. They take no thought for the future. And so if you were a manager and you had two prospective people coming in and you could only hire one, who would you choose? The person that that modeled their life after the ant or the person here called lazy bones? It's a no-brainer who you would choose, right? And so the word of God is, is holding up a mirror to each of us and it's saying consider both ways and consider the outcome of both ways. If you want to have wisdom in work, examine your own life in light of this passage. 
But I want to go back a little bit. We're going to take a little bit of a rabbit trail, talking through the theology of work, and then we'll come back here to Proverbs chapter 6. And my prayer is that this is just a huge encouragement for you, even as you think through a new week or a new school year. The brief theology of work is this, is that God works. Put your thumb in Proverbs chapter 6 and, and go back to Genesis. We see the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to create, working together to create our world, to create human beings, male and female, God made them in his image. It says here in Genesis chapter 2, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God finished his work of creation. And so he rested from all his work. So we see God working. So working is a good thing because God's doing it. But we also see God resting. On the seventh day, he pulls back from his work and rests. So the theology of work starts with the fact that God, the triune Godhead, works. And then we see this that God ordained work for his creation. Chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis says it like this, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. I think this is why deep down, many of us want to be farmers. <laughs> it has nothing to do with wanting to drive a tractor or have a red barn, although both of those things would be really cool. <laughs> But deep down, we're created to tend and cultivate the earth, creation care. We were made in God's image to work, to care for the land. But then the scriptures say a chapter later, as, as we sadly know, that God cursed work. Genesis chapter 3 says it like this, And to the man he said, You listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will, grow th it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. This right here, this truth, is why so many of us, I think, feel frustrated, disappointed, or even bored at work. Anybody, just self-disclosure, do you feel any of those things this week? Frustrated, disappointed bored at work. Part of that is just the remnants of the fall, that we live in a broken world. God, as a result of sin and the fall, cursed work. But then here's the good news. And every time we gather together, we have to talk about the good news. It's this idea that God has redeemed work. You go from Genesis, now flip all the way over to Galatians in the New Testament. So go from the first book of the Bible and then about two-thirds through your Bible, just open it up or on your phone, just punch in Galatians chapter three. We see the redemption of humanity, of those who place their faith in Jesus, but we also see the redemption of things that were cursed. Galatians chapter three, verse 13 says it like this, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. 
So Jesus Christ comes into the scene. He works. Jesus has the sin of all the world, of humanity, placed on himself. He takes the curse that was placed on work, that was placed on all of us, men, women, children, and he takes it upon himself, hanging on a tree. Cursed is the one who hangs on that tree. We have the cross right here each week to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done through his great work on the cross and then through his resurrection from the dead, overcoming sin, conquering death. Now we can be redeemed. Our lives can can experience forgiveness and they can become made new. We had, what, 90 kids at VBS a couple weeks ago that experienced redemption for the first time. It's just awesome to think through that. That children becoming aware of their sin before a holy God and saying, I need a savior. And then responding in faith to say, Jesus, I believe you are my savior. In a couple minutes, I'm gonna even offer you that opportunity. You don't have to be a kid to place your faith in Jesus. I wanna give you that chance today too if you're not sure where you stand with a holy God. But Jesus, through his work, redeems what we do even vocationally. Therefore, for the Christian, work is now a calling. For those who have been redeemed, work isn't just a drudgery. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. (laughs) Yeah, we get tired, we get weary, we have bad bosses, and yet God has a calling over our work. The book of Colossians says it like this. If you're in Galatians now, go over to Colossians. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. GE Power Company, Colossians. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 says it like this, and you can see it on the screen as well. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative, representative a person of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, like I'm serious, whatever you do, like whatever, what about whatever, whatever, whatever you do, Monday morning at 10 a.m., whatever, yeah, Tuesday night at 11 p.m., whatever you do, Friday morning at 9.31, yeah, whatever you do. Whatever you do, do it as an act of worship to the Lord. You are his representation. You know, we have three overarching callings. Calling number one is to come to faith in Jesus. We're called to salvation through the work of Jesus. Calling number two is whatever we do, Do it unto the Lord. Bring glory to God. And then calling number three, generally as Christians, is to go and make disciples. The Great Commission. So we have these callings on our life. I wish that we had time for each of us to come up and and we could interview uh, one at a time and be like, okay, well, what's your specific calling? And how did you find that calling? Or or maybe you're kind of in between callings. You're, You're not sure what your calling is. There's room for that, and that's something that I want you and the Lord even to wrestle with. 
But I want us to understand that, that generally, no matter what you're called to, it could be to work at Wendy's today. It could be to do someone's taxes tomorrow. Whatever you're called to, do it unto the Lord. Do it as an act of worship to God. Do it to bring him glory. Your work, Christian, is a calling. Amen? Amen? But here's the issue. (laughs) Is that throughout church history and even in the scriptures, there's a wrestling with the sacred and the secular. In the 4th century, there was this guy named Eusebius of Caesarea. Caesarea in the 4th century was uh, the center of Christianity. It was where a lot of Christian thought was being produced. And Eusebius had this chart that maybe you can see from your seat. And he designated, here are the sacred vocations. Here are the things that are done uh, unto the Lord. And it's things like being a priest or a nun or a monk or aristocrat. And then here are the secular vocations, being a homemaker, a laborer, or a farmer. And this type of thinking was not just for the fourth century. It was before Eusebius, and it certainly is after. It's this struggle with the idea that, well, certain people are called, and and so we're going to let them do their work for the Lord. But then other vocations are, are just kind of neutral at best. And we come to church, and, and, and maybe that's our, our, our time to, to serve the Lord, but then what I do on a Wednesday at 11, it, it's kind of nebulous. I don't think that's what the scriptures say. The sacred versus secular in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul, who understood the sacred and understood the secular, he says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. Everyone has equal opportunity to bring glory to God through their work. Now, are there some vocations that are set apart? Yes, I would argue that a pastor, we don't don't, uh, work a second job, or at least, I mean, that's, that's one of the models here at Calvary, at least is that we work full-time here at the church and and we're dependent on your faithful, generous act of worship giving to to support the work of us here at Calvary. So in some ways, there is like a distinction there. Uh, Paul talks about a worker is worth his wage when it comes to ministry. And so we're following that that principle. Or or a missionary that that we lay hands on and and send out cross-culturally. There is a sense that, that we set them apart and then send them out. And yet, I want us to understand that every vocation is a ministry. Every vocation is a calling from God. Every vocation has the opportunity to give God worship and glory. I mean, think through the scriptures and some of the heroes of the faith. Abraham was a real estate owner. Jacob was a rancher. Joseph was a property manager. Joshua was a military man. David was a shepherd and a musician. Daniel was a politician. Esther was a model beauty queen. Paul designed camping gear at REI. (laughs) Lydia was a clothing manufacturer. And then this is the best apologetic for for against the sacred secular. Jesus was a carpenter. The God-man, the perfect one. 
The Lord, the Savior, had a vocation. Pete Scazzaro, I love his thoughts on this, pastor out of, uh, the, out of New York, Queens, New York. He says we need to eliminate this duality between uh, the sacred and the secular. That we need to understand that, that all work is consecrated to God. I love this quote. You are in full-time ministry from the day you came to Jesus to the day you're called home to heaven. The founder of Hobby Lobby is a guy named David Green. David started Hobby Lobby, um, boy, over, I think, 60 65 years ago, through God's grace, David has been able to give almost a billion dollars to God's kingdom work around the world. David's dad was a pastor in rural Oklahoma with a church of 35 people. David thought that he would be a pastor too. But in his early 20s, through some circumstances, he began a small business. David Green was wrestling with the idea of, well, is this really the best I can do for God? Working in business. My dad was a pastor. Maybe that's what I should do too. And then one day it just kind of hit him, this idea, there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. Isn't that good? No second-class citizens. We are all equally called. You are called. What are you called to? Well, you're called to create and shape in the midst of chaos. Your workplace is probably a place of chaos because it's full of broken people and broken systems. You are called to create and shape even despite that brokenness. You are called as a follower of Jesus in your workplace, to build a flourishing community, to love your neighbor, to lay down your life for your coworker and for those around you. You are called to bring light where darkness exists. You may be the only believer in your entire building. You may be the only Christian that someone interacts with next week. You're called to bring light into darkness. And you're called, even as God did, to a rhythm of work and then rest. God worked six days and then rested on the seventh day. This is your calling as a man, a woman, a child for Jesus Christ. There's lots of ways you can break down uh, the domains of society. But I want you just to think through where do you land in about these 17 domains? What is your current vocation? Where is God calling you to bring light into darkness, to create in the midst of chaos, to build loving community, to practice work and rest? Could be in the area of business or healthcare or education or social services. Could be in the retail industry or service industry. You could be in government or construction. You could be in the arts. You could be a student about to walk into your first day of class. 
could be in sales. You could even be in a place of transition between two vocations, trying to figure out what God has for you next. You could be retired. That's a vocation. That's a calling. That's a calling honestly that we all want, so let's just go ahead and jump into that right now. <laughs> no, that, it's not always easy. I've heard people in this church joke, I need to go back to work to rest. <laughs> you could be in that category. You could be a parent, a homemaker. You could be in transportation or church or, or parachurch work. You could be in the legal profession. Or you could be something else that we, that we haven't covered. <laughs> what is your calling What have you been set apart to do? What is God equipping you to do even this week? I love this thought. We work to give, not to get. So many of us, the mindset when we go to our job tomorrow morning is what am I going to get? What office do I have? What's my commission this week? What are my to-dos of the week? Who do I need to navigate with or around? (laughs) What if we had this mindset? We work to give, not just to get. What do we give? We give glory to God in our vocation. And we give ourselves in service to others. This is the theology of work that I want to present to you this morning. Maybe this is old news for you. You're already living this out. Maybe this is just a good, fresh reminder. As we end summer and vacations are done, and we're looking at basically now until Thanksgiving. (laughs) What if this was your mindset? I'm called to my vocation not just to get, but to give. I was reading in a book by Daryl Morrow who writes about the Christian in the workplace. He said he was on a cross-country trip, and he stopped at a gas station. And as he was used to stopping at these places, he would kind of walk in, hold his nose, kick open the door, (laughs) and get in and get out as fast as he could. But he said he was blown away at one of these stops when he had to go to the bathroom, that he walked into the bathroom, and as he prepares to kind of grossly get in there, it's completely clean. It smells actually kind of good. There's flowers uh, next to the sink. The mirrors are completely clean. Daryl thought to himself, he's like, wow, whoever is taking care of this bathroom is taking their job seriously and is going above and beyond what anyone expects. Wouldn't that be cool if that was us as Christians? that the Christian, that people who know you're a believer and follower of Jesus, when they kicked open the bathroom, so to speak, of your workplace, they saw you like the ant working hard above and beyond, not for your own glory, but to give glory to God. Amen? My kids and I had a cool experience on Thursday night. We went to Chick-fil-A in the marketplace and we were eating inside, and we kept seeing a worker outside at the drive-thru just flying back and forth, like sprinting. And the kids and I were like, what, what's he doing? <laughs> and so we ended up looking outside, and his name was Tyson. Tyson works at the Chick-fil-A off of Jamboree. If you go there, not today, <laughs> I 
can't go there today. It's closed on Sundays. But if you get a chance this week and you, you walk by and you see Tyson working, just be like, Tyson, you got a shout out at Calvary Church on Sunday. But Tyson was sprinting from the drive through window to the car over here. He would drop off the food and then sprint back. And so I pulled Tyson aside. I was like, Tyson, my kids and I are like just so impressed by how hard you're working. And Tyson's like dripping with sweat right here. I mean, Thursday night, if you remember, it was super hot out. And he's like, thank you. He's like, I do get a lot of compliments about how hard I work. I'm like, that's awesome. What if we could be Tysons in our, in our world? Working unto the Lord to give, not just to get. One last thing, though, is that when it comes to talking about Proverbs 6, go back there for a moment, Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. I want to make sure, make sure, make sure that you understand this. The ant working hard, as an example, does not earn salvation through their work. Ephesians chapter 2 says it so clearly. That's by grace that you've been saved, not of your own efforts, not of your work. So the ant works hard unto glory to God. Give, not get. But the ant does not receive salvation through their work. Salvation comes through belief in Jesus Christ. Also on the other side of this, the lazy bones. The lazy bones does not have to just hide in their shame. It says in the Psalms that God is the lifter of our head. The lazy bones can look to Jesus for healing and transformation of their life. So whether you identify as an ant or a lazy bones, both look to the same one, and that's Jesus. Let's not forget that. Sometimes in the Proverbs, it can be easy just to walk away going, I got to do more and I got to do better. I want us to understand that we ultimately, all of us, look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving just even a fresh new perspective to me on what it means to work. Thank you, God, for the way you may be calling many of us here to change our attitude, to change our mindset of how we look at what happens tomorrow. God, would you allow us, the people of Calvary Church, to work hard, not just for our own glory or paycheck, but Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom, for your name. In Jesus we pray, amen.